man, I'm telling you, powerful worship this morning. Powerful worship this morning. God is good, right? God is great. God is good. So good morning, everybody. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of loving this whole going through the book of John series that we're doing. Um, I just really feel, uh, I don't know, I just personally feel blessed, I think, as we go through the book, as we go through books of the Bible, especially going through this book of John, just there's so much. There's so much of God's goodness and greatness in this gospel, right? And then, so over the past two weeks, though, we have seen how uh, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came into the world so that what sinners may not perish, but have eternal life, right? This is the essence of the gospel message right here, the good news. God is populating, he's building his kingdom and he's given those in the kingdom to Jesus Christ as his bride, right? Those who have turned from sin, believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, they are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, right? So last week we looked, I think we looked at one of the most, I think, beloved verses in the Bible, right? John three sixteen. In it we discovered the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember the four points we talked about? We talked about... John 3.16, and then we said, okay, what does this one verse, this one sentence, what is the gospel in this one sentence? First of all, it's the danger that we face as human beings, right? The danger of perishing into an eternal death under the wrath of God, right? So there's the danger. But then we talked about, okay, there's the design. The design of God for rescuing a people. For himself to be the bride of Christ. Remember, this design of God was that God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He gave. Not only did he give, he gave his son. He gave his son. So God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Trinity of God, the design of a rescue mission to rescue sinners so that we would not perish. Right, And then we learn the other day. So there's the, the danger, the design. Then there's the duty. The duty of man to respond to the free offer of the gospel. Right? We have to what? Not everybody's going to be saved. That, I, I say that, it breaks my heart. Right? Not everybody will be saved. Who saved? Those who believe. Right? That's what John 3.16 says. Whoever believes, whoever believes, believes, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So our duty, we must believe. We must believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we have the the danger, the design, the duty, and finally the destiny. The destiny for all believers is to live eternally in the presence of God. And remember, this is not sitting on some cloud playing the harp forever, right? I mean, we are going to be in the presence of God. We are going to have things to do. We're going to worship we're going to fellowship with one another. Our minds, I don't think, can even fathom the goodness of what heaven will be like, right? So we have the danger, the design, the duty, and the destiny. And I, we've talked about these are elements. You memorize one sentence, John three sixteen. You understand the, duty, uh, the, the danger, the design, the duty, and the destiny. 
You could tell anybody about the gospel. Three minutes, anybody, right? I like to say, if I'm, if I'm in a car wreck, I'm laying on the side of the road, I got three minutes to live, one of you as a Christian comes up to me, not knowing whether I'm a Christian or not, what hope are you going to give me? I got three minutes to live. What hope are you going to give me? The gospel right there. That's what you give them. Okay? So, all right, so that was John 3.16. But let's go back a little bit, right? Remember in chapter, the whole of chapter 3 of John, Jesus starts out explaining to Nicodemus that one must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God, right? Born again. The first 13 verses, born again. Nicodemus didn't quite get it because he didn't believe. There was this element of belief in there, right? But in the first 13 verses of John 3, we talk about, Jesus talks about, you've got to be born again, you've got to be born again, you've got to be born again. But in verses 14, and 14 through 16, Jesus talks about you have to believe, you have to believe in Christ. Believe in Christ, then you will have eternal life. So we have born again, then Jesus kind of shifts gears just a little bit and says, oh, born again, yes, but part of being born again, you have to believe. You have to believe in the Son of God. Believing in Him for eternal life. The thing is now, beginning with John 3.17, going through verses 21, which we're going to cover this morning, the language Jesus uses now changes. Right? He goes from believing in me, life, eternal life, in these verses now, he talks about judgment and condemnation. Verses 14 through 16, remember mountaintop verses, right? We climb John 3.16. We get on top. We, we look out over the landscape, standing on John 3.16. We can see for miles. We can see the goodness, the greatness of God. Right, We can see his grace and his mercy for all of us as sinners. Right, We can see his love in the, the supreme love, right? the sacrificing of his son to die for us. Okay, And I love this verse. Um, John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Someone would sacrifice themselves, right? So on the mountaintop, right, we can get a, a glimpse of this love so great that God sacrifices himself on our behalf, right, to create a people who will be presented to Christ as a lovely bride, dressed in white, pure and holy, forgiven, in love with the Son of God. But now while John 3.16 may be one of those most beloved mountaintop verses in the Bible, when, when Jesus starts speaking here in John 3.17, I think these may be perhaps some of the most challenging verses in the Bible. So we go on the mountaintop, and then all of a sudden, Jesus kind of switches gears with language. Now he's talking about judgment and condemnation. And I think these verses challenge us. They challenge us to kind of look in the mirror and look at ourselves to see where we stand. Okay, they present us with some contrast that we're going to see this morning. They show us that unbelief comes from us loving what is not of God, but that belief is a gift of God and allows us to love what God loves. 
So let's read. We're going to read John. Uh, we're going to go back to John chapter 3. And I am going to read a little bit more than our verses this morning just for context. Um, and then we'll jump right into it. So let's just start at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. So look how Jesus changes his language from these glorious verses in John three fourteen through 16 to now. Because I think Jesus now is, okay, we've got these glorious verses, you can come to me. But now he's kind of going, all right, now I want to show you how serious this is. I want to show you how serious this is. This is a matter, it's not only a matter of life and death, now it's a matter of judgment and condemnation. So the difference is that the result of believing and not believing is not only described as perishing and eternal life, but in terms of being condemned or not condemned. This is a little heavy this morning. Last week we saw the glories and the beauties of John 3.16. Now we're going to kind of get into the tough part here. We're going to get into the tough part this morning. Jesus has moved from the language of life and death to the courtroom language of guilty and not guilty, right? This is the language of a judge. You're guilty. You're sentenced to punishment. Or you're not guilty. You're free to go. So let's start with verse 17, and we're going to note something very important here, right? So let's look at this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So what's the purpose of God sending his son into the world? It says it right here. God sent his son into the world not, not to judge the world, right? Not to judge, not to condemn. Those two words, judge and condemn, in the New Testament are the same word. It's condemnation they put in here because in the context, it's like the negative aspect of judging, right? You're condemned. But the purpose of Christ coming into the world was that so many of us across the world, every color, race, language, size, political affiliation, whatever, heaven is going to be full of a multitude of people that are all different from every tribe, color, race, everywhere, all over right? That all of these folks might be saved, might be saved through him. <clears throat> what is saved? It's interesting because a friend of mine sent me an article and in this article, this guy said, being saved was something that came up like relatively 
late in Christianity. Nobody used the term being saved in the Bible, and nobody used the term being saved until like the 20th century or something like that. And I went, this guy should like read the Bible? (laughs) Because in our text this morning, right, what's it say? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. I'm like, dude, quit reading these stupid articles like this by people who don't even know what you're talking about, you know? Um, But what is saved? Saved means to preserve or rescue from danger or destruction or affliction or harm. So the purpose of Christ coming into the world was not judgment, but as on a rescue mission. Jesus was going to rescue sinners from the consequences of their sin so that they would not perish, we would not perish, but have eternal life with Christ. A rescue mission, right? But verse 18 then, that's great. Woohoo! Jesus has come to save, not to condemn. You're like, Phew. not so fast. <laughs> verse 18 explains this a little further, right? What was the purpose of Jesus coming into the world if it wasn't to judge the world, right? It was to save the world. But if Jesus didn't come to condemn, why are people going to be condemned? Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is very important. But whoever does not believe is condemned, what's that next word? Already. Already. Christ didn't come into the world to condemn. Why? Because people who do not believe are condemned already. Already. Already doesn't mean a future state of events. Already means what? Now. It means the judgment is done. (laughs) Let's look a few verses later in John 3.36. John writes this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's great. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, what's this next word? Remains on him. I'm going to talk about two things here. One is the first part of the, the first sentence says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's the promise. Bank on it. God is faithful. Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. But then, John, what is, why does John say this? Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why does he move from saying, why didn't John just say, well, whoever does not believe shall not see life? Because Jesus Christ commands all people to do what? Believe and repent. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. The gospel is at hand. Believe and repent and you will be saved. Believe. Believe. That's a command. Believe in me. Believe in me. So if someone does not believe, then they are literally disobeying God. And if they disobey, then they shall not see life, right? Belief, you obey God, you believe, you have eternal life. 
You don't believe. If you don't believe, you disobey. You will not see life. But then this other little part here says, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remains. The wrath of God is already there. Condemnation was already there. The wrath of God was already there. Jesus didn't bring it with him. It was there. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't have to. The world is already in a state as bad off as it can be, my friends. That I mean, this is strong language, right? It describes all of us at some point. It describes the world that we live in. Friends, we are, we're, we're in it. We're in this. I would just challenge you to go, next time you go to Walmart or Schnucks or, or Mosier's, wherever, just look around at people. You don't have to stare at them or be, you know, weird. Look around at people and go, are all of these people already condemned? I mean, I find myself doing that and I find myself just wanting to go up and like tackle somebody and go, dude, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in Christ, you know. I mean, sometimes, you know, you just get this. You look around at the mass of humanity and you just wonder, Lord, use me to reach just one person. You know? I mean, that's us. We're like living in this. And let's observe this too, right? Jesus did not come into a world of neutral people. Nobody is neutral. So I think I've told you this, but many years ago, Right? I used to believe, and I was taught this in church, I used to believe that Jesus was on one side, the devil was on the other, I was in the middle, and they would war over my soul, and then I would choose one side or the other. My friends, does that, does that jive with what we just read in the Word of God? No. There are no neutral people. People aren't neutral. They don't like, Jesus didn't come into the world to go, I'm going to persuade this one guy to come to me. You know, unfortunately, this other guy is going to go over here. Jesus didn't come into the world to persuade some neutral people to be pro-Jesus, okay? I mean, he came to rescue some guilty people who would believe in him. And I hate to even say this, it pains that then the others would perish. That's the world he came into, and that's the world we live in. This is like where we are, right? Whether we stay that way now depends on, right? Remember the duty, the response. Do we obey the command to believe in Jesus Christ? Believe in Jesus Christ, that's our duty. God does not owe anyone a verdict of not guilty or eternal life, right? Jesus came on a rescue mission. And the fact that even just some people accept it shows God's grace and mercy, his boundless grace and mercy, okay? Now, Jesus didn't come into the world for the purpose of judging the world, but there is judgment. There is judgment. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 begins by saying this, and this is the judgment. And this is the judgment. 
So Jesus says, I didn't come in the world to judge, but wait, there is a judgment. What's the judgment? Think about this. Every time you tell somebody about Jesus, what happens? I always like to say, when Paul went into a city, one of two things happened. Maybe they both happened at the same time, but certainly one of two things happened, right? There was a revival or there was a riot. (laughs) Paul, you know, talked to people, a whole bunch of people got saved, or he had to run for his life because he was going to be killed, (laughs) right? There There was a revival or a riot. Think about that. When you tell somebody about Jesus, some people go like, oh, don't tell me about that. Don't be pushing your religion on me. Some people may say, well, that's interesting. Brent, why don't you tell me a little more about that? I've never heard that before, right? Every time Jesus' name is mentioned, I mean, something happens. (laughs) People have an opinion, right? People have an opinion. There's a great divide. Jesus even said this in Matthew 10, 34. Everybody... Everybody always says, oh, Jesus is love, and he brings peace to the world. And everybody thinks of Jesus like the chosen, right? Okay, so you got this decent-looking guy, long flowing hair, pristine robe. You know, I'm sorry, he's like the gay hippie Jesus, (laughs) okay? He's just like so, you know, whatever. But listen what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What? But I thought, I, I thought, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring, bring peace, but a sword. Okay, wait. This, this is not the Jesus that I have heard about. Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Okay, what in the world is Jesus talking about here, people? What? Jesus is saying that he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but judgment's coming with him. Okay, there's going to be a division between people who believe and people who don't believe. Paul even recognized this. He wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul knows this. He senses that when he preaches, he is dividing the world into two camps. And he's like, anguishes over this. And my friends, i got to be honest with you. Every time I come up here and present the Word of God, this is why I love preaching through books of the Bible. Because I don't get to pick and choose my favorite verses. Right? I don't get to pick, oh, I'm going to do John 3.16 because, man, everybody loves John 3.16. But I'm going to skip 3.17 through 21 because, oh, man, I don't know. That's just too much. It's too much for people. I can't do that. Right? I can't do that. But I guarantee you that there will be folks, and and I'm telling you, there are people who um, I think have actually been here that have heard me say some things, and I've seen some looks, and I've seen some of this, right? And it it just, it it like, like a dagger sometimes, you know what I mean? Because I want, I pray, I pray for everybody here by name. 
because I want everybody to understand. I want the Holy Spirit to like come in, open your eyes, open your heart, see the truth of the gospel, see Christ. But sometimes I'm in anguish because I'm like, oh, man. You know, some people just don't. And we'll look at why here in just a second. So what is this judgment, right? It's a division between darkness and light. It's a division between death and life. It's a division between guilty and not guilty. It's a division between condemnation and free to go. So let's, get, let's read again. We're going to go down to verses 19 through 21. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true to the light, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what is this judgment then? Light has come into the world. Who or what is this light Jesus is talking about here? What is this light, right? Look at John eight twelve. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John twelve forty six. Jesus again says, I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So who is the light that's come into the world? Jesus Christ. Okay? Why does Jesus describe himself as light? And why does he contrast this with darkness, right? Light and darkness in scriptures are often used as metaphors for goodness, righteousness on one side, and then blindness and wickedness on the other side. Truth on one side error on the other side, right? Remember Jesus said in John 3 that you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. See, you can't even see, right? We are blind until Jesus opens our eyes with this marvelous light. Then we can see the truth of the gospel. We can understand the truth of the gospel. We can love the truth of the gospel. We can love Christ. We're born again. Our eyes are open to the glories of grace and mercy of God and his gospel, right? Now they are plain and they're visible to us. So Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but judgment and division are coming with him, right? There's a division between those who believe and those who don't believe uh, in verses 14 through uh, 18. But then in 19 through 21, it moves from belief and non-belief to come to the light, hate the light. Love darkness, hate darkness, (laughs) okay? And they're strong terms, but I think Jesus is trying to show us how serious things are here. So he describes two types of people, and I think uh, these descriptions should really cause us, I think, to examine ourselves, right? He's not trying to put labels on us. He's not trying to say well, you know, you can't come to me because you're this or, you know, whatever. He's calling out for people to examine themselves to see what they really love. People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. So people who don't believe in Jesus, those who do not come to the light, what do they do? They love darkness rather than light. Now, see, I'm thinking Jesus could have used another word besides love. Love is a strong word. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Yet he's saying here, excuse me, people loved darkness rather than the light. That's pretty strong words. (laughs) Their desire is for the darkness. Their life is lived for the darkness. Now, don't think these are like just people who are like crazy Satan worshipers or whatever, okay? This is, this is all of us, <coughs> right? They love their ignorance of God and spiritual things. I don't need God. I got myself. I love myself, right? Um, they prefer that ignorant life to one of knowledge of the triune God and the message of the gospel. I mean, think about it. You know, so many people, so many people, I've heard this so many times, that says, oh, the gospel, the gospel is Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, my friends, that's, that's, I'm just going to say, that's not the gospel. Because most people will look at that. If you love the darkness and you love yourself, you're going to go, wait, Jesus loves me? I love me. Jesus has a wonderful plan for my life? I have a wonderful plan for my life. Oh, that's awesome. I'm just going to like... Add this Jesus guy right here next to, you know, Joel Osteen and and Ken Blanchard and whoever all these other motivational speakers are. I'm just going to add Jesus right here because, woohoo! But let me tell you something, my friends. When when tough times come, when hard times come, when persecution comes, when when your daughter contracts an incurable disease that is going to be with her for the rest of the, you know, the rest of their life. When somebody that you know, your mom or father, somebody dies in a car accident right here, or when you lose your job because of one reason or another, my friends, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not going to get you through that. It will not get you through that. Because now you're wondering, well, where's my wonderful plan? That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus, God sent his son as a sacrifice to save you from your sin so that you might have eternal life. That is, that is the gospel, right? But John here is also concerned with a meaningful choice, not blind fate, right? People prefer the darkness. They love the darkness. They prefer that. It wasn't forced on them. People chose that. That's their preference, They love darkness over light. They chose themselves over Christ. They love their evil deeds. One commentator says this, they were not willing to live by the truth. They valued their pride more than their integrity, their prejudice more than humble faith. Worse, anyone in this camp hates the light and refuses to come to it for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The verb suggests not only exposure, but shame and conviction. And in that actually lies the reason for condemnation, right? Our guilt lies squarely on us. Why? Because humans love the darkness rather than the light of Christ. There is bondage in these verses, but it's not forced upon us, right? Our chains are forged in the furnace of our own 
desires, what we love and what we hate. On the other hand, though, I don't want to leave us there because verse 21, again, is good news. On the other hand, there are those who come to the light, right? Verse 21 says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So contrast this with verse 20. Everyone who loves darkness hates the light. Hate, that's a strong word. Why? Because they fear their works will be exposed and they personally will be dishonored, shamed, and discredited, maybe convicted, you know, but my friends, let me tell you, this doesn't mean that people don't perform, don't perform these dark works in public. I mean, turn on the news. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Turn on the news, man. You know, you're going to see many people whose works are evil kind of flaunt it all over the place. Social media, ooh, you know. But they do it so in groups, right? They have this group mentality. If we're all doing it, then there's no shame and disgrace in it, Right? So many people mistakenly believe that if they do their evil acts in public with others, that this makes them okay. Ah, everybody's doing it. I'm going to do it, right? But many people doing wicked acts together don't make them right. It just hides the shame and conviction that they would otherwise feel about what they're doing. But for those who do what is true, meaning to act faithfully and honorably, They come to the light. They come to Jesus because there's no reason not to, right? Notice the contrast here. Those who love darkness do evil works. They hate the light. They steer away from it as far as possible. But those who do what is true come to the light, okay? Not to show off or brag about all the good works that they've done, but to show that all of their works were literally not done in and of themselves, but were done in God, if someone comes to the light of Christ, it's because that all that has been for, performed is not in a shameful or convicting manner. It has been done through God in union with him, therefore by the power of God, okay? So think about this. One loves darkness and stays in darkness because they ultimately love themselves. The others come to the light of Christ by the grace of God with a profound sense of God-dependent humility. And we'll see this next week when we talk about John the Baptist in the next section of John. They know that everything that they do comes only from God. All the good things they do come only from God, not from themselves. Right? And they come to this, they, they come to Christ with this, with this God-dependent humility that says, Lord, it is not me, it is you. Okay, so let's button this up with a couple, just very quickly, a couple of observations, right? Number one, there are no neutral people, right? How you deal with Jesus Christ makes all the difference in this world and the next. You're not neutral. Jesus didn't come to persuade some neutral people to follow him, right? The wrath of God, remember that word remains. It remains in all humanity, and we're condemned already, but we do not have to stay that way. We don't have to stay that way. Jesus has come into the world. Second point, Jesus has come into the world not to judge or condemn the world, right? I keep saying, but as a rescue mission (laughs) to save people who are enslaved by their own desires. We're going to go, you know, uh, pilfer the camp (laughs) of the enemy, 
We're going to take back those. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, says Paul. Sometimes I think I'm struggling with Paul to be the foremost sinner. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, right? But praise God that Christ came into the world to save sinners. All right, number three, examine yourself to see where you are, right? How do you react when you're confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? How do you react with scriptures like John 3, 17 through 21? You know, what do you think? Do you enjoy all the more, you know, Christ and his work on the cross? Do you see this magnifying the beauty of, of Christ? I mean, God is love, but he's also just, you know, we should see some of these scriptures not only magnifying the love and grace and mercy of God, but also ma- magnifying the justice of God because God is just and holy, right? Do we praise God and glorify him for his plan of salvation? I mean, do we desire more of the spirit to live according to the will of God? Or, like I said, do we sort of recoil? Oh, man, these verses just lay bare my innermost thoughts and feelings. Ugh. You know, or do you want to be neutral? Do you want to be in charge? Do you want to be the captain of your soul? Or are you concerned that Christ has laid your innermost thoughts out in the open and then you fall on your knees and and just, you know, and just beg and plead, Lord, plead the blood of Jesus Christ on me because you've laid me open and now, Lord, okay, you're, you know, you get on your knees and you pray. You pray and you pray the blood of Christ over you and you believe in Christ. So the last point, come to the light of Christ. Either way, right? The gospel is for those who are unsaved. The gospel is for those who are saved. I think we need to perhaps read John 3.16 to ourselves every morning <laughs> because the gospel is for us too, right? The gospel is for saved and for those who are not saved. After Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, the crowd responded. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, what? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. So I'm going to ask one question and we're going to close here. Is the Spirit calling you to Christ today? Let's pray.